You're listening to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon. Hello and welcome back to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast, part of the 90 Min Football Network. As ever, I'm your host, Harry Simiou. And on this edition, we'll be reacting around about half an hour after the full-time whistle to Arsenal's 2-1 victory over Brentford in the Premier League. Now, if you're wondering why the post-match reaction show is coming so close to the full-time whistle in comparison to when it normally comes, that's because I wasn't at the game today. Um... I want to get that out of the way, early doors. Uh, really, really frustrated that I couldn't make it today, but I couldn't make it because I had work uh, earlier on in the game between West Ham United and Newcastle. Good result for us, by the way, but it just meant that the window in between finishing that and you know to get to the Emirates was just simply not long enough. So I ended up having to watch the game on the television, um, but it gave me the opportunity to really kind of shine the microscope on John Moss. Because look, a lot of the time we go to the stadiums, we sit there as fans and we go, that was a stonewall penalty. That was definitely not offside. That was definitely a foul. That was definitely a free kick. And more often than not, from where we are, we can't really tell. And so when I was tweeting today throughout the game about how badly uh, the game was officiated. I was doing it from a position where I was sitting there and watching all the replays, uh, not from a position in the stands where I was just telling everybody that, you know, I was right and, and they were wrong. So, yeah, I looked at the game very, very differently today. Obviously gutted that I, I wasn't there because I love getting down to the Emirates. And in particular, when you win, um, there's no real better feeling. Although The weather here in London is still pretty shitty. So uh, not the end of the world that I was watching it with the heating on from my sofa with a cup of coffee uh, as opposed to standing there shivering from the cold. But anyway, uh, we'll move on to the game and we'll discuss it in detail. We'll get your thoughts from the live chat as well towards the end of the show. We'll take some of your questions. Uh, we'll do all of that. We'll discuss the performance. We'll discuss the result. We'll discuss some individual uh, displays and showings as well. We'll also touch on something that's really wound me up, uh, just scrolling through the social media platforms in the last sort of half an hour or so, but it, it's got to be discussed because even if it's just me having a go at you all, yeah, it's got to be discussed. Sorry. Uh, don't forget, if you haven't done so already, please do hit the like button and make sure you are subscribed to the Chronicles of Aguna channel. It really, really does help. And we're pushing ever closer to that 19K mark, as I always say. And then once we get there, which I think we're probably around about 30, 35 subs away from, we can then focus on leading the push towards that 20k, which would really be the magic mark for me. I'd be so uh, delighted. I'd be buzzing. Uh, Kevin Barnes says, where did you watch it? From what channel? Now, being Greek uh, means that I have Greek channels. And uh, and of course, uh, the Greek uh, provider, Gozmodea, they have all of the Premier League games on at 3pm. Well, normally anyway. And today they had uh, Arsenal's game on. They showed the Liverpool game. They showed the Chelsea game as well. So I was able uh, to watch it that way. Greek commentators are the worst, but I was able to watch the game anyway. So I won't complain because I know a lot of people uh, would not have been able to get hold of streams and pictures from that one uh, today, just because there were so many Premier League games going on. And with Chelsea and Liverpool playing at the same time, 
a lot of broadcasters will probably lean uh, towards those guys. So, okay, let's get into the game. Let's get into the performance. Look, I thought the performance was really, really good. Um, you know, I've I've seen some people kind of saying that we weren't uh, clinical enough. I've seen some people suggesting that, you know, we should play that way against a Brentford side. Look, and, and to a degree, I kind of agree with both of those things. But I just think when a team comes to the Emirates Stadium, like we discussed in the preview show yesterday, and sits with a back five the way Brentford did, it's not easy to break them down. I think we did create tons of chances. I think I read that 17 of our attempts at goal, um, you know, 17 of our 24 were from inside the penalty area, which suggests that we were getting into really good areas and we were creating the right kind of moments and the right kinds of situations. I must admit, the first half I found really, really frustrating because on the one hand, you're sitting there going, well, this performance is really good. This performance is everything that I want to see from the Arsenal side. And on the other hand, you're sitting there going, but we haven't scored. And if we don't score, this is going to be a really difficult second half and they're going to sink deeper and deeper and deeper. And then the nerves kick in and then the crowd get on our backs and that nervousness and agitation within the fan base just transmit across onto the pitch. And I just really didn't want that to happen. You know, I, I really was of the mindset that, you know, an early goal was was very, very key today. Um Look, we didn't get the early goal in the first half, but we managed to get it in the second half, thankfully, after a piece of absolute brilliance from Emil Smith-Rowe. And look, I spoke to you guys about it on the preview show. I love Gabriel Martinelli. I think he brings so much to the table. I think he's super talented. I think he's got a wonderful career ahead of him. But I did point out in the preview show, if you haven't checked it out, that I felt that the key to hurting Brentford was from our, for our wide players to to pop inside into what I called the half spaces and, and to really kind of then commit people in those positions and look to to hurt Brentford that way. And there you saw it. Emil Smith-Rowe picked up the ball in a half space, stepped inside uh, a couple of challenges and found the bottom corner brilliantly. Bukayo Saka's goal also came from a half space position. So those are the areas that you need to look to break into when you're playing against the team that sit with five at the back. I thought the intensity level was good from Arsenal throughout. I thought we played with an energy, um, with a tempo, with a zip that made it really difficult for Brentford to cope with us. I think that we defended very well for the most part as well, and, and that needs to be commended too. But yeah, I, I thought the performance was really, really encouraging. And, um, you know, sometimes you put in great performances and you don't get what you deserve. So when you get what you deserve and you got the performance, you have to be quite pleased with that and quite happy about that. I think, you know, as I said, against Wolves, you know, for example, Wolves away where we won uh, in our last fixture was a much more difficult fixture than this one. Right. We were playing against a team who are in the race for the European places, just like we are, who had been in good form away from home. On a, on a cold Thursday night, it, it was never going to be easy. And, you know, we won that game 1-0 in the end. We went down to 10 men and we still managed to get through it. But I would say the performance against Brentford today was better than the performance against Wolves. Now, obviously, you need, in theory, a better performance to beat someone like Wolves. But the point I'm trying to make here is sometimes you don't always get what your performance deserves. And sometimes you don't always get the full reward for that. So to get the points today as well as having the performance that we did, I think is something to take encouragement from. We didn't look like we were lacking ideas in an attacking capacity, which is a criticism that's been levelled at Mikel's team time and time again. We always looked like we were 
Um, you know, we were, we knew what we wanted to do. We always looked like we could carve something out. We looked like we'd, uh, you know, brought different patterns of play to the table that maybe we hadn't seen as often previously. Talked about it again yesterday on the preview show. We talked about the constant kind of same old, same old patterns that Mikel Arteta's Arsenal used to play with when he first took over. And now we're seeing more variety to that. That variety, it comes not just from the manager, though. It comes from having confidence as players. It comes from having individual guile. It comes from having individual creativity. And a massive reason for me as to why Arsenal just looks so much more creative in general. Yes, we have our off nights and our off days. But in general, Arsenal look much more creative than they did previously, is Martin Odegaard. What a performance from, from Martin Odegaard. Again, he sets the tempo. He sets the pace. He's aggressive without the ball. He's aggressive with the ball. He breaks lines. He's just such a wonderful, wonderful footballer. And I think he's so key to this Arsenal side. And again, that conversation will come up and that debate will come up about who should be the next Arsenal captain. And the more his influence on this side grows, the more difficult it is to make a case that he is not the right man because he seems to display the right values, the right attitude. He's got all of it. And um, and I really, really enjoyed his performance today. You know, I, I enjoy pretty much everybody's performance. That's not to take away from anybody else, but I just felt that he was, in particular in the first half, a real standout player. I thought that Xhaka and Partey were pretty comfortable in the middle of the park. I thought they gave us a good stability, and that stability is often what then uh, allows those players further up the pitch to then go on and express themselves. So props to those guys. Um, yeah, I, I just thought it was a good performance from everybody. And I'm really, really pleased and really positive and uh, really looking forward to, uh, you know, seeing this team move forward even more. I, I've seen a bit of criticism for Alexander Lacazette um, in in the chat. Uh, I've seen it on social media as well. I think that the general kind of view or, or consensus will probably be, well, if you have 67% of the ball, you have 24 attempts at goal, surely your centre-forward has to feature more prominently. But I've said this to you guys over and over again, and I don't want to sound like a broken record, but I'm going to say it anyway. What Lacazette does is facilitates the, the spaces in which Bukayo Saka and Emil Smith-Rowe thrive. You know, if you think back to when you know, those two really sort of grabbed everything by the kind of scruff of the neck and really started being the go-to players for Arsenal. What was really, really important was that Lacazette was in the team to to link up with them, to combine with them, to provide them, to occupy people in the centre. And as I keep using that term, facilitate the spaces and the areas and vacate them. It, it, and vacating those areas, right? If you're Lacazette as a centre-forward and you vacate certain areas, in order to allow Saka and Smith-Rowe or Martinelli, if he's in the team, to come infield and expose those areas. Naturally, as a centre-forward, that decreases your chances of scoring goals because you're moving further and further away a lot of the time from the actual goal. Right? It's just, it can be as simple as that. So I thought Lacazette had a decent game today. I, I don't think the criticism that he's getting from some people is fair. I think we know what Lacquer is. We know what his level is. We know that there are better strikers out there, but we know that there are bloody worse strikers out there as well. And for the time being, he's what we have. Um, lots of talk about Martinelli playing up there. Lots of talk about Nicola Pepe potentially playing there in the build-up to this game. But at the end of the day, none of those guys will give you what Lacquer does. None of those guys would be able to facilitate 
the the you know the the thriving if you like of both Bukayo Saka and Emil Smith Rose. So I think the criticism and the stick he's getting is a little bit harsh. Somebody who is uh, getting uh, a lot of criticism but deserves it is John Moss and the team of officials. They were shocking. You know, and, and I don't, you know, there were a number of decisions, right? I thought in the first half, we should have had two clear-cut penalty kicks. I thought the foul on Ben White was definitely a penalty. And I thought the um, the uh, the handball, the blocked shot from Cedric was definitely a penalty as well. Now, you could argue that they weren't, but th- th- I just thought at half time when I looked at it and I went, we haven't scored. We haven't broken these guys down. We've been all over them. And somehow we have not been given a penalty. I just found it laughable. The standard of officiating in supposedly the biggest league in world football is in the gutter and it needs to be fixed. It needs to be sorted. You know, some people talk about conspiracies and I do think that we've been harshly treated with regards to the red card thing. I I don't think it's the FA sitting in their you know, their tower sitting there going, well, let's screw Arsenal over this week. You know, they're playing this team. Let's make sure we screw them over. But I do think, as I've said before, there's unconscious bias that comes through in some of the refereeing. With regards to Arsenal, it's about the red cards. It's about this notion that Arsenal have disciplinary problems. And so if someone does something that is pushing the line of what might be a red card, we have to give it because it's Arsenal. And because it's Arsenal and they've got disciplinary issues, he must have stepped over the line. He must have done more than what I initially saw. I do think that unconscious bias comes through. But today, I'm not even sure that was biased because I, uh, biased is one or two things. Biased is being kind of leaning one way when you should lean the other. Today was pure incompetence. And we're seeing that more and more in this division. I don't know that I can remain as emotionally invested as I am in a sport that is dictated by officials. I, I, I don't know if I can do it. I don't know if it's good for my health. You know, I've got kids to think about, man. I don't know if I can continue to be so emotionally invested knowing that this game is not often decided on talent, on quality, on magical moments. You know, sometimes it is, of course. But the, the vast majority of the time now, this sport and the outcome of fixtures are determined by the quality of referees. And some people will say, oh, you know, this is just typical Arsenal fans moaning. We've won. I've got no reason to moan about it. I could quite easily brush this under the carpet and move on. But I think it needs to be called out. I think it needs to be discussed because I think it is that bad. It really, really is. I thought Nicola Pepe should have had a penalty in uh, in uh, in the second half. You know, there was, um, there was appeals from Brentford about a foul on Pontus Janssen in the lead up to Arsenal's second goal. You know, I'd like to have a look at it again, but it might have been a foul. And and that one was for us. But the point is that the incompetence of these officials is ruining the bloody game. And it's driving me absolutely crazy. Week in, week out, instead of sitting here and talking about performances and talking about the quality that we showed, we're talking about referees. And nobody cares about referees. That's why they're referees. Sorry to put it that way. Um, but a good referee is one who's unnoticed. A good referee is one who keeps a lid on things without necessarily needing to be at the centre of everything. And um, and unfortunately, there's too many of those Hollywood referees in the Premier League. 
You know, I think Michael Oliver is one of those Hollywood referees. I think that Mike Dean's a Hollywood referee. And then you've got the complete opposite end of the spectrum, which is the John Mosses of the world, who just don't have a bloody clue what they're doing from week to week. Let's take this one. Uh, super chat from Medical Study Buddy. Thank you so much, mate, for your very kind donation. Much, much appreciated. Hey, Harry, what do you think of Arsenal losing both their captains this summer? Lacker and Eddie. Yeah, look, I was going to save this chat for a little bit later, but I think we'll do it because you've um, you've brought it up. Um, look, this is what... So Eddie Nketiah comes on, takes the captain's armband off of Alexander Lacazette, for those who haven't seen it, goes to give it to Granit Xhaka, who appears to be like, well, I don't want it. Like, and then Nketiah awkwardly kind of keeps hold of it. Um, and then eventually, I think, passes it to Kieran Tierney. Look, at the end of the day, who cares? Um, you know, and I mean this in the, the the nicest possible way. Like, it just amazes me that Arsenal have just won a Premier League game, have, you know, closed the gap further on West Ham United, who dropped points today, which is great. Um, Arsenal have picked up a positive result, have performed really, really well. And the thing that, and I'm not talking about you, mate, because I know this is a tongue-in-cheek question. Um, I can tell by the way you've you've worded it, which is fantastic. But I mean, the outrage that I've seen across social media because Xhaka didn't take it, it, it it's just mad. It, first of all, it's completely irrelevant and benign. Like, who cares that Granit Xhaka didn't take the armband? We were 2-0 up at the time. The game we felt was done and dusted. It is such a non-issue. But it's Granit Xhaka, so it is an issue to some. But then... You know, the same people who are up in arms about Xhaka not taking it, who are now calling him a disgrace for not taking it, are the same people that don't want him anywhere near the team. So hold on. So you don't want him in the team, but when he is in the team, you want him to wear the captain's armband. Like It's just, it's just mad. I, I really don't get it. I really don't get the outrage. I really don't understand it. I couldn't care less. And I'm actually probably a little bit glad that he didn't take it because even when at times... He's felt like the right person and the right option, the more senior guy, the guy who does lead in a lot of ways. He just takes on additional pressure and unnecessary flack when that armband is around, you know, when he's wearing it. I, I don't want him to wear it. I don't care. I thought he played well today and I don't give a shit about the captain's armband. You know, it's just a, a piece of material at this stage. Granit Xhaka is a leader on the pitch for Arsenal, whether you like him or not, and he will continue to be until the day he leaves the club. He didn't take it. Maybe that's his way of saying, you know, you lot don't respect me enough. Who cares? Um, don't make... The things that matter today are that Arsenal went out in difficult conditions weather-wise, because it was, and I know people will say, well, it's the same for everyone. It wasn't ideal conditions to play football in today. Arsenal went out, they put in a good performance, they got an important three points and they move on. Who cares um, about this captain's armband thing? But you're right to bring it up, mate, because I was going to bring it up a little bit later on. Um, but I uh, I was going to save it to a little bit later. Uh, <laughs> uh, Raunak Das says, Harry, why is your face naked? Jeez, for those of you listening on the audio who don't have a clue what Raunak is talking about, I trimmed my beard right down this morning. I had this sudden urge when I woke up. Uh, I do look much younger, which is a good thing, I guess. Uh, but my face uh, does feel naked. He also goes on to say, Harry, tell your face to stop sending nudes. 
<laughs> oh man brilliant stuff love it um absolutely love it but yeah it does feel and look a bit weird but it will probably grow back in a few days not a big deal uh big hello to daniel lillington who says i really hate the unnecessary and unwarranted issue this fan base seems to have with Xhaka. We literally play our best ball most of the time he plays. Yeah, we're definitely a better side with him in it. Come on, let's be honest. And I can see that there are people in the chat box who are normally quite critical of Granite Xhaka, saying that he played well today. And I think that is, you know, I've got respect for that because that your opinion might not be the same as mine in general, but if you're willing and, and open-minded enough to say, well, yeah, you know what, today he played quite well. Then, then at least I respect where your initial opinion comes from because it comes from the right place if you can be humble and if you can be open. Uh, so, yeah, um, and, and Daniel, I agree with you, man. If, if this was anyone else, had Gabriel not taken the armband, nobody would be talking about it. And that's kind of the point, isn't it? Uh, oh, lots of compliments for the new look. Uh, Dean, looking super slick today, Harry. Uh, talking about you as well, not just Dean. <laughs> Uh, big hello to Henry, who's just joining us. He says he just got back uh, from the game. Uh, I hope you're not too cold, mate. Make sure you uh, you warm up uh, and uh, and chill out tonight. You've uh, definitely earned it. Look, let's get some of your questions in the live chat box. Um, it is going to be a, a slightly shorter episode here in terms of post-match reaction, just because um, I've got some more work that I've got to be getting on with. Um, but I wanted to get this out. ASAP. Um, and we will come back tomorrow with our tactical analysis show. And I'm really looking forward to that one, actually, because I spotted a few different patterns, as I mentioned a little bit earlier on, and uh, and a few different things tactically, just slight tweaks that I want to highlight uh, in in the show tomorrow. So I'm, I'm going to be preparing that one a little bit later on tonight and we'll stream it uh, tomorrow around lunchtime uh, for you guys to jump on and get involved as well. But get some questions in for me in the meantime. Uh, just a quick one. Uh, only 60 likes on the board. Let's try and get that over the 100 mark. ASAP. There we go. Apologies. Knocking the wire up. Subscribe to the channel if you haven't done so already. And uh, make sure you hit the like button on the video. Okay. What have we got? Uh, Jalen Brown says, do you think Cedric can be our backup right back? Seems to be playing better. One of the things I've always said about Cedric is that I think he's much better in an attacking capacity than he is in a defensive capacity. And in a game like today at home against Brentford, you'd imagine um, that he he would get the opportunity to get forward more and he would get the opportunity to make his mark in that area of the pitch. And I thought he did that quite well today. I think with Cedric, and not just exclusively to Cedric, but with every player, I think when you're playing regularly, you will perform at a higher level, right? I think there is a an element of rust. I mean, you know, I if I do loads of radio one day and then go on a show, you know, at the end of the day, then I'm probably in much better form than I would have been if I started the first thing in the morning or 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 than I would be on the first show I do of the day. So I do think that you there's an element of rust to it, right? You're not playing a lot. You don't get many chances. Your chances are few and far between. And then once you get yourself into a bit of a routine and you start playing regularly, that's when we can look at the best of you. I, I'm not sitting here saying that Cedric is the answer or that I see Cedric as part of Arsenal's long-term future. I don't. But I do think a Cedric playing regularly is a better Cedric than the Cedric who comes in and out. And I know you can say that for a lot of players, as I've said, but I think that, um, you know, he, he did okay today. 
Let's see uh, what else we've got. Um, Chris says, um, thoughts on Odegaard's shooting? Um, <laughs> Odegaard, for me, everything in the build-up is great. You know, he had a couple of efforts today. There was one situation in the first half where I thought he, sh- he should have shot with his right foot. At the gap just seemed to open up for him inside the box, and he didn't. He decided instead... Um, to, to try and find Bukayo Saka, who was even in a wider position and he was from a worse angle. And I'm just thinking to myself, man, just put your foot through it. So I do think that's an area that he can improve on. Yeah. But I think his build-up play is so, so good that, um, you know, we can, we can live with it. It's a, let's call it a development area. Uh, Harvey says, Harry, why don't the PL recruit the best international referees? Yeah. Uh, it, it drives me mad. You know, it, it's, and, and I know there's been this talk about, you know, diversity and the need to kind of refresh uh, the pool of referees. I think that's absolutely the case. If you're talking about diversity, does it have to be, you know, you know, what I'm trying to say, the angle that they're coming at it from with diversity is to have people from more diverse backgrounds as referees that are obviously UK based. But my view on it would be, well, if you're going to want to be as diverse as possible, why can't you go and bring in the best people for the job, regardless of where they're based? You know, there are plenty of referees, I'm sure, on the continent who are at a much higher standard, who earn much less money, who, if you offered good money, um, would come over to England and do the job in what I keep saying is the biggest league in the world. The problem is that, you know, we're a little bit, and I know that other countries don't do this, so it's maybe unfair of me to call out the FA for, for this, but... You know, I just feel like we've got the best football product in the world. And it's not because, um, you know, there's 22 English players in every single squad. The reason that this league is is where it is, is because of the foreign influx and the combination of that with the English players and with what's great about English football. When you put all those things together, you get the perfect kind of recipe, right? So why can't we do that with referees? I'm not saying that you should have no English referees. I'm saying that if there's a really good referee from a different ethnic background, in particular, those referees who don't referee in Spain, Italy, France, Germany, you know, outside of those realms of those countries where you're talking about referees will be earning less money, who want to do something a little bit more prestigious, want to get out in the limelight a little bit more. I'm sure there's plenty that would be interested if you just made the right offer. Um, So, yeah, I I think it's a really good point. If you want to talk about diversity among referees, then why can't we go abroad and pluck out referees of a really, really high standard? Josh Hunter says, uh, and this is a good question, should Martinelli come back in? No, um, I don't think he should. I think that one of the things Mikel has done really well this season in comparison to previous seasons or, or, you know, I know he didn't have all that long before this season, but you know what I mean? In the season and a half prior is that when people have performed and forced their way into the team, he's allowed them to continue that. And I think that's key. I think that's key in sending the right messages. I think that's key in sending, um, you know, the, the right message to both the player who's coming in and the player who's been left out that your place in the side is based on merit and nothing more than that. And I think that Martinelli was slightly fortunate that Smith Rowe was out, which opened the door for him. He took that opportunity, got himself sent off, misses out. And now Emil Smith Rowe has stepped up to the plate and wrestled that position back. He's our top scorer in all competitions. And I think you have to find a way 
of getting him into the team because I think he's a really, really good player and someone who will be key to our hopes of finishing in the top four. So that's my view. Um, until he does something wrong, why should he, you know, why should it Emil Smith Rowe drop back out of the side? Unless you're talking about Martinelli playing somewhere else. I know some people feel that he could play up front. Not quite for me. Uh, just following on from that, because it's linked, uh, Junior Gunner says, uh, Emil Smith-Rowe is a lot more smarter and intelligent with his movement out wide when it comes to getting his head up and playing a pass compared to Martinelli constantly running down blind alleys. Thoughts, H? I think it's a little bit harsh to say that Martinelli only runs down blind alleys, but I'd, I'd spoken in the preview to this game about how I felt that Emil Smith-Rowe's superior, you know, football brain, understanding the game, movement, um, would uh, would be the right fit for this particular fixture. And I think all of those points stand. And I think a lot of those points are similar to the ones that, that you make as well. Um, Patrick Carlson says, do you think we needed this game ahead of the Wolves game? The ball tempo must be faster. Yeah, you know, when we perform like that, you know, we're at our best. And, and the tempo thing has been a bit of an issue. But look, sometimes you try and you try and you try and you just can't impose yourself on an opponent the way they did. That uh, the way they did today. That can be because you're not up to your peak level. That could be because your opponent's making it difficult for you or has, has got one over on you tactically. What's important when you have those days, those off days, and they will come, is that you dig in and you dig deep. And we certainly did that at Wolves. But yeah, they'll take lots of encouragement from this performance moving forward for sure. Um, Chris Carrick says, why do you think Partey can't shoot? His defence was very good today, but I wish he could score uh, four to five goals between now and the end of the campaign. I never thought when he came to the club that Thomas Partey could shoot. So I'm not surprised in the slightest. Um, but there's this kind of thing now, isn't it, with Thomas Partey, where we're all kind of obsessed with the idea of Thomas Partey picking one up on the edge of the box and smashing it into the top corner because it's what he's tried to do on so, so many occasions, but uh, I'm not really, uh, that's not what he's in the team to do for me. So I'm not going to, um, not going to dig uh, in on him a little bit too much there. Uh, Daniel with another very super, uh, very kind super chat, sorry, uh, says, if you could choose one player this season to begin hitting their peak performance every game, who is more important to you, Odegaard or Martinelli? I'm, I'm going to slightly lean towards Odegaard here because I just think he's so imperative to the entire team. Martinelli, as great as he is, and he works very hard for the team, is a little bit more of an individual. And I don't mean that in a in a negative way. I don't mean it to come across in a, a kind of negative light. What I mean is he's someone who will pick up the ball and will look to put the ball in the back of the net himself. And he'll look to, you know, make things happen himself. He's a bit like Alexis Sanchez in that he wants to grab the game by the scruff of the neck and and impact it. Whether Whereas Martin Odegaard wants to impact it in a different way. He wants to control the game and he pulls strings that allow others to prosper a little bit more maybe than Martinelli does. So I'd say um, Odegaard uh, with that question. Uh, a few of you asking about Lacazette who have joined us a little bit late. I did talk about him a little bit earlier on in the show, so I'm not going to repeat it just for the benefit of those who have been here from the beginning. But um, if you rewind back after, uh, you'll be able to um, you'll be able to catch up with that. OK, I think um, I am going to leave it there. Uh, let me just summarise my thoughts on Arsenal's victory over Brentford today. And of course, we will be back tomorrow with a tactical analysis, because as I said, noticed a few things, spotted a few things that I thought were, were different 
uh, in a good way about Arsenal and their attacking play in particular. So I really want to run through some of those tomorrow in a, a bit more of a deeper dive into that performance. But good performance, good win. Disappointed that we didn't get the clean sheet. Um and really pissed off that we didn't get the clean sheet because I had a really tasty accumulator bet today, which, um, and for those of you in the States, it's a parlay, basically. It comprised of a number of results, six results. And one of them, one of the legs of that parlay, one of the legs of that bet was for Arsenal's game with Brentford to end up with less than two and a half goals. So Arsenal at 2-0 would have done it for me and everything else won uh, and went my way. So it's just sod's law that my own team uh, conceded a goal that cost me, uh, which is really, really frustrating. But that's, that's the that's what happens when you gamble. Don't do it. It's not good. Uh, but yeah, really frustrated that we didn't manage to keep the clean sheet. But is it something that we should be massively reading into? Um, it was a ball into the box. There was a, a bit of a scramble, a bit of pinball, and, and it just fell to someone who, who managed to turn it in. It's, it is what it is. You know, I'm not going to lose any sleep over it. Performance was good. The tempo was good. The work rate was good. The energy levels were good. Um, I think, again, as I mentioned previously, patterns of play are far more variable now than they ever were, uh, which is something that makes you more difficult to defend against. 24 attempts at goal, 17 of which were from inside the box. Shows you that Arsenal were doing all of the right things in the build-up, for the most part defensively solid. And we close the gap further on West Ham United and increase the pressure on the others in the race for the top four, which is all you can really ask for. Shit weather, shit conditions, but we got over the line and it's another valuable three points for the Arsenal. So we take it and we move. Don't forget, hit the like button. Don't forget, subscribe. Help us get up to 19K if we could get there over this weekend. That would be unreal. And there's no reason why we can't. Um, so please do subscribe to the channel if you're new. Help us get over 100 likes as well. Um, oh, yeah, I forgot to, in my summary, talk about how bad the officiating was. But how many times are we going to say it? Seems to be every week. Anyway, I'll catch you all later. Uh, enjoy the boxing. If you're watching the boxing tonight, big fight. Uh, Amir Khan versus Kel Brook. I'm looking forward to that one. And uh, maybe we'll touch on it a little bit during tomorrow's episode. Until next time, take care. Goodbye. You're listening to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon.